I think informality as, as a field to study has also been on the rise in many art projects and cultural projects. And I think that they result in very interesting cultural and art pieces. So I think informality is what makes Cairo rich as a city. Welcome to Urban Limitrophe, a Toronto-based podcast exploring the global African experience by highlighting the various initiatives happening in cities across the African continent and occasionally the diaspora to creatively solve problems, support communities, create vibrant urban spaces, and build better cities overall. I'm your host, Alexandra, and join me as I explore this episode's topic. This episode is sponsored by the University of Toronto School of Cities. The School of Cities convenes urban-focused researchers, educators, students, practitioners, and the general public to explore and address complex urban challenges with the aim of making cities and urban regions more sustainable, prosperous, inclusive, and just. To learn more about their work, visit schoolofcities.utoronto.ca. This episode is also co-sponsored by the University of Toronto's Department of Geography and Planning. To learn more about their work and the different undergraduate and graduate programs available, please visit geography.utoronto.ca. In this special episode of the podcast, I'm joined by my friend Sammy, who is co-hosting this discussion with me about Cluster Cairo. Sammy, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sammy Ferwadi, and I'm friends with Alex, as she said. Um, currently, I'm doing my master's in planning at the University of Toronto. I grew up in various countries uh, in the Middle East and various cities in Canada, from London, Hamilton, and now in Toronto. So this interview or discussion that we have with Cluster Cairo will be quite interesting uh, as we learn about various things. One that interests me the most is how they bridge the Western urban world and how they understand planning and through their terminologies and into the Arabic language and into the Middle East. Yeah, and so what Sam is referring to is uh, one of the two projects that we highlight in our conversation with Salma from Cluster Cairo. So he's referring to the Critical Arab Urban Lexicon, or the call for short. Uh, and, and in the interview, Salma gives a brief overview about um, what, what this initiative is and how important it is to, I guess, understanding um, urban concepts beyond a North American or a Western context. And then the other project we look at is their Creativity in Action Toolkit, exploring how they leverage our um, as a tool of community economic development, but also like heritage preservation, but also to uh, highlight the importance of the informal network in our cities. And so that was one of the things that their work in this space is really one of the things that drew me to this particular organization. And so I was really happy that A, we got to speak with them about the work that they're doing, and that B, Sammy joined me to talk with them about it too, because I think from our conversations, we've had some interesting perspectives about uh, what is urban planning and what, what it can be and how we can bring more people into the fold. So I hope you enjoy. Hey, so hi, everyone. My name is uh, Salma Al-Bosti. I graduated from the German University in Cairo in Egypt in 2020, and I did my pre-masters in urban design. While we study, we have to do obligatory three months of internships. So very, very late into my studies, I uh, discovered that I don't like architecture. So I was trying to find something else that intersects with it, but not necessarily redoing all of my career. 
So um, I did internships in architecture firms. I did internships in heritage uh, firms. And I also did an internship at Cluster. And I felt that Cluster aligns most with my interests. So I was lucky enough that once I graduated, I applied here. And so this is where Cluster came into my life. It's funny, we're in a similar period of having to get like three, four month internship. So we can definitely relate with that process. Um, and so can you share a bit about like what is Cluster and how did this organization get started? Sure. So Cluster is short for Cairo Lab for Urban Studies, Training and Environmental Research. And it was co-founded between Omar Nagetti and Beth Stryker, Omar Nagetti being from Egypt and Beth Stryker being from America. And they founded it right after the uh, Egyptian 2011 revolution during the Arab Spring. They saw that there was a lot of motion, a lot of change, political change and urban change. So they wanted to document this state. And so they produced their first uh, publication called Archiving the City Influx very early in their uh, cluster career. And then they wanted to move on from research to design. And so they, tr- they started also to map a lot of uh, very interesting passageways in downtown Cairo. And then they chose two passageways to um, pilot design for them. They chose a Kodak passageway and then, and they also chose Phillips passageways and they did some workshops with students and they did a stakeholder analysis in order to reach the best design solutions for them. And then later on, they created a a database called QIP, which was at the time Cairo Urban Initiatives Platform. But then as this initiative grew, it became Creative Urban Initiatives Platform because it, it now has more cities. It has Tunis and it has Amen. And so it's a very good directory to uh, for whoever's interested in knowing more about those initiatives. And then, um, yeah, as I said, the regional projects arose. And so, for example, we just finished two very interesting publications about mapping urban informality in Tangier and mapping urban heritage in Tunis. And we also have um, GPs, which are Grounded Urban Practices. These are two publications cluster made with partners one for Cairo, Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and one for Berlin. And Cluster's also been interested in informality. So they founded a uh, makerspace lab in Ardelewa, which is an informal neighborhood here in uh, the greater Cairo region, so that they have an interface with formality and informality and try to bridge bridge the gap between them. Yeah, that's really interesting because first of all, you do a lot of different projects and we don't really have the time to discuss all of them, but something that really like caught my eye about the two that we'll be discussing today is what you're talking about, that that focus on highlighting urban informality, but then also its links with like creativity and creative cities in both very like tangible and in, in very intangible ways. They're like the different publications and, and other projects that you're doing. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. one of the projects we'll be talking about today, which is the creati- creativity in action toolkit and the series of mm-hmm. programming that you did around that, which is yeah. really interesting, but we'll get into that a bit later. But the first thing you really want to talk about was the critical Arab urban lexicon. And so I'll, I'll pass that on to Sammy so he can ask you more about that. That's the thing. Um, so the first question is, uh, what is the critical urban lexicon and how did it get started? So this started way back in 2017. I asked Sophomore about it. And it started as part of Pilot, which is also an initiative uh, that Cluster has about 
mapping the different libraries in many different cities so that if you're looking for a certain book, you just use this directory to search for it and see if it's in a library that's here. So Paul started as part of this, as part of the knowledge dissemination, because while they were doing some publications, some words did not have Arabic, like clear definitions, like the word gentrification. So they might borrow terms from other social sciences that are, were not necessarily uh, exactly urban. So they were trying to b- bridge the gap of the knowledge between the Mena region and the first world. And they were also met with the challenge of the regional variations between some words and the others, because same you might know, like each country speaks almost like a completely different dialect than the other. So there were many agreed upon um, translations. So Cluster started its first workshop event. They tried, they decided to build this as a workshop-based event where they invite linguists, translators, and professionals working in the field. And they, cho- they choose a theme for each workshop and they invite those who are going to attend to submit terms that they think would be in- relevant to them. And so during the workshop, they discuss using uh, pre-prepared flashcards that have the words in use and the origins of the word. And w- through discussions, they agree upon a certain definition to it. And so Cluster has done about eight workshops of this in many different cities. So there's a website that we're currently working on and we're gonna launch very soon that has all the terms discussed. And it would have the term with, for example, if you discuss a term in many different cities, you'd see the regional translation differences between them. So uh, it's a very interesting tool. Our last workshop was in Tangier, but it was held online with our partners Think Tangier. And its theme was art and architecture in the age of neoliberalism. This was the only workshop that I attended and it was very, very interesting seeing all the differences and finally reaching, concluding with terms that we all agreed upon. So kind of a follow-up question. So what has been the impact of Call since its initial launch? I think the website is a very good database. So if I'm writing a research paper or a publication in the field and I want to find an Arabic term that would directly translate to that, I think I'd open this website and see if there are translations to it that were agreed upon in several workshops because it's it's critical and it has been thought of by people who are in the field already. And it's also self-developed. It's based on the results of the discussions. And also the, the direct impact of it would be when the sessions were given, they were very well received by the participants. Have you guys been able to measure how much it's been interacted with? Like academically? Well, unfortunately, ever since I've been a cluster, we've been trying to uh, redevelop this website. So it hasn't been relaunched, but very soon it will. And I think, yes, we will be doing what you're asking about. We'll be trying to measure this quantitatively. Cool, cool. So, yeah, so Alex will talk about the creativity and action toolkit now. Perfect. Yeah, so yeah, we can just switch gears and focus on the toolkit and the, and the two creativity and action projects that 
you know, were actually highlighted in the toolkit. And so what really stood out to me about this initiative is firstly how the, pro uh, how the projects show how arts and culture can be used as a tool for urban regeneration, which is something that's like, uh, like a theme that's like running through a lot of the work that you're doing. But then also this notion of in that informality is creativity, because something that I definitely agree with, it's kind of at the core of this podcast is seeing these different informal projects and how they come to be and how they influence the city. Um, but yeah, it's a connection that I don't see many organizations like explicitly focusing their work on. So this is why this project is really exciting to me, at least. So yeah, my first question for you about this is like, what is the creativity in action project, um, the two different uh, initiatives that you did, and then the final toolkit? And how did this initiative get started? So this project started as it was preceded by other projects that had the similar idea that they're trying to bridge the gap between the skilled workforce and the students. So before that, there were projects in Fayoum, which is a city close to Cairo, where students and people who uh, would uh, make baskets out of palm reed, out of palm reed, they would sit together and do new designs. And there were also other projects in Fabrica where the students would go and scavenge junk in a very close by junkyard and they would come and with the local uh, carpenters and ironsmith they do new designs so i think this project is building up on this interest there were two main there were two main projects to that there was the first project which was the enhancing the visual identity and the other was the restoring signage traditions uh the first one was basically repainting the shutters of el fabrica as a pilot so that we encourage other uh, lo local shops to to do their shutters as well so that they get more branding and they get mis visibility and the other project was about restoring the signage traditions that were lost and i'll get into detail into each th of them so the first one was basically just yeah like i said the fabrica is the makerspace of clusters so they wanted to uh, use the branding elements of it onto the facade so that it says what is a fabrica to the local neighborhood so that it's not like we're trying to alienate ourselves from them and if you're trying to encourage them to do something in their context you'd start with yourself and not just ask them to do something that you didn't do yourself so at class at the cluster office we did some design workshops it wasn't only about the fabrica there were two other sites there was a local nursery and there was also a local art space by two artists and so cluster sport was designing their shutters and the artists were to design the nursery and their own workspace so the these discussions were very interesting because some of the designs we thought would be interesting uh we then later thought that they might not be well uh, received so they might be sensitive so for example in the nursery we thought first of doing some Egyptian motifs but then we thought okay maybe that's too contemporary they won't be very well met so the artists of the nursery decided to uh, let children draw some drawings and then scan them and reorient them on the wall and in their designs they decided to opt for a very simple peace sign with the primary colors and then us at Al Fabrica we just used the branding of the cluster makes which is the name of the series of the workshops and then spread it out throughout the four shutters and during implementation cluster invited students to come and work with Duku which were the implementing partner and so this has also been a very interesting uh, learning experience for these students so we 
participated in a step-by-step -step from the initial part of printing the design on very large papers and then trying to print the design on the shutters themselves wasn't very easy because we weren't sure of what mechanism. We tried three different things. So it's also part of the creativity of trying to find a solution to the problems that you find. We tried it first with pencils and then we tried it with the oxide powders and then we decided to opt for having small cuts into the paper and then spray canning it so that it's dots and that you connect. And then so after we drew the design on the shutters, we taped it and then we started painting between the paints, between the tapes. And then later on it would dry and then you do another coat and then we would switch between the designs. So yeah, it was a very interesting workshop to watch. The other two designs were not implemented using the same way. They were projected and then using pencils to just draw around the background and so it was already there. So the Fabrica one was the most challenging. And yeah, what was very interesting is that while we're doing it, everything was accessible. If you need pencils, if you need spray cans, if you need paint, everything was within walking distance, which is the strength of the neighborhood there, which is an informal neighborhood because everything's very close by and there are a lot of workshops and uh, suppliers it's not like you're going to take a car and go to some other neighborhood or go to a mega store it's it's very very accessible so it it was a lot easier when we were doing that there the other project which was the uh, restoring the signage of the uh, andrea cafe mansura so andrea cafe is a very old cafe it's like 100 years old and its original facade was damaged due to uh, an attack in 2013 on a police station right next to it. So the, the glass facade was shattered. And so Cluster wanted to redesign it and they wanted to use this opportunity to do try something that's old to fit into the heritage um, history of the cafe. So they opted for trying to revive the gold signage technique which is basically getting gold that's compressed into sheets and then silk screening it onto the glass and while cluster was searching for who can do that it turned out that all the skilled work people who used to do this had passed away so luckily cluster found Cairopolitan, who uh, is a a very nice boutique store that sells Egyptian branded uh, products. And so they have done their signage this way. And the owner, Ahmed Hifneri, said he's going to help Cluster because he already attended this before with the, with the person who did their signage. And then after this was produced, uh, the signage had to be transported to Mansoura, which is three hours away from Cairo. And the cafe owner also wanted a... Um, an iron signage that would be protruded or cantilevered so that also shows the place and Cluster had to create a branding for the cafe so that there's a design on it and the guy and the owner had very strong ideas that it would have a Greek god so that's relevant to Andrea which is also a Greek uh, name because the cafe we used to be owned by a Greek, the current Egyptian owner wanted to um, use Greek elements in the design and the branding of the cafe. So he wanted us to use a uh, 
Greek gods who's holding the cup of coffee, which is what Cluster also tried to present to him with input from Ahmed Hefmeri from Chiropolitan as well. So the cantilever was created at Al Fabrica in Ardelewa. And then everything was transported to Mansouro for implementation during a two-day workshop as well. And there were students. So yeah, that's very briefly the project. Of course, there were a lot of glitches and a lot of more interesting details to it. And then as a requirement for the project, Cluster had to produce an open source toolkit called the Creativity in Action Toolkit, which you will find on the website, which explains very explicitly each of these in steps so that we encourage whoever is interested to replicate this. So these were done as a pilot and we encourage everybody to try it for themselves and uh, develop on it so that it's a way of sharing knowledge between the people. Yeah, I like that throughout the project, both in the like inception of the different projects that you've done, but then also in the final product, there's a lot of like capacity building integrated into it. First for like the artists, you know, training people how to use these, um, how to do like the work with the, the goal that you were mentioning, how to do that kind of artisanry in, in artwork, but then also now creating a toolkit that other people who are interested in doing similar initiatives in their community can get involved with as well. And so I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about like the impact of this project on the communities and once it like wrapped up or as it's ongoing and and then especially these two target groups from this initiative, which is like one part is like the local businesses in the area that, that you either partnered with or I guess surrounding the area where you did these um, interventions, but then also the artisans and artists and explain a bit more about like why it's important, I think, to bring these two communities together when you're like building and designing cities and public spaces. And I only ask because um, similarly to you, I used to work for a public arts organization and in the work we were doing uh, we did similar projects where we were working with businesses and artists and then bringing them together and enhancing their storefronts and or like sidewalks or the areas around their businesses um, and that was less about storing history and regeneration but it was more about renewing community connections and bringing people together but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. So the direct impact of these two projects were that the businesses that were renovated or were in very close proximity to it were very well branded because these two designs brought visibility upon these projects. So for example, the Fabrica shutters, you would find people from around the neighborhood if they want to have a nice background to an Instagram photo they want, they'd come to El Fabrica and take a photo in front of it. There were wedding photos taken in front of it directly which also caused the people in front of the Alphabrica shutters, uh, the owners of other shops to come and ask if they'd also want to do that. How would they apply for it? How would they do it? Which actually turned into another new project. The other impact of it was that the people and the workmen who participated in these two projects had a new capacities built. So for example, the... Uh, cantilever of the uh, Mansoura Cafe. It's not a very common thing here in Egypt to have a, a cantilever that's metal, unlike cities in Europe. So the people who participated in fabricating it, they learned new skills to it. And the ability of interfacing between these two is also very interesting because sometimes you want to do something, you're an artist and you want to do something, but you don't necessarily know where to go. On the other side, you could be a very skilled workman, but you can't reach out to skilled artists. So this interface between them produced something 
that was very sustainable and it led to other new projects. And so another theme that comes through your projects, you mentioned before, is informality. And then something that Sammy and I were discussing was, I think informality looks different in like different regions and different cities. And so can you like paint a picture for us about like, what does informality look like in, in a city such as Cairo? So informality here, and yeah, this is what Cluster always likes to argue about, is that creative city or creative class, it, it's a definition in Europe that appeals more or relates more to after decentralization spaces there turned into spaces of art and design which wasn't necessarily the case here here after decentralization a lot of gaps arise and so the result of it was that some informal solutions were found which were very creative so that's in itself is creativity so for example here you find that if you want to get out of the lewa to an informal area, you take a tuk-tuk, which is a very small vehicle that carries two to three people maximum, which would take you to the stairs that you would take to get to the other side of the neighborhood and elsewhere, which is not very, which is very informal, but it solves a problem. And yeah, there are many, many different, that's a very basic example of it. There are very other very interesting solutions. And yeah, this is why Cluster likes to understand and deconstruct this informality and find out tools to work sensitively with it because two thirds of our cities are informal. And so Cluster always sees that informality is creativity in itself. And, and so they created a space like El Fabrica to try to understand this closely. Yeah, speaking on, you touched on the creative cities, uh, the creative class, and that's something that uh, we've also had like debates and discussions about in our own classes. And so, um, and that was something that also stood out to me when reading through the, to- the toolkit, because, uh, particularly there was a line about, um, you were, the, the toolkit says that the space and its programs engage in the discourse of informality by critically revisiting Eurocentric definition of creative class mm-hmm. and creative cities acknowledging informality and creativity in the process of design and creation. I guess I'll pass it off to Sammy to ask some additional questions. Talking um, about cities and clusters now, my first question would be, has the government played any role in supporting urban awareness or urban solutions, or just any role with cluster and the programs you guys have going? Most of the the projects cluster does are not governmental. And we sometimes face challenges with that in terms of that we would like to do something that has permits, but sometimes we don't know where to go or how to do it. So what we would really like is that we have space for action from the government and have to have the support and the permits and the space for work and maybe clarity on the requirements on how to get the permits or how to appeal more to the government or whether, for example, we could have a platform that explicitly says how to do that. But we've had some uh, support from them, such as in the opening of another project that builds on creativity and action. We've had representation from the municipality who have come and seen the opening of the exhibition. We're very happy with how it's progressed. So yeah, that's the state here. I did have a question regarding just informalities. I know uh, Alex just asked a question, but I, and this maybe not directed uh, with cluster, but maybe uh, just like your personal perspective uh, would be: How do you think informality, uh, either development or just like kind of uh, the way that people interact, how does that impact the formal developments? 
And like also how much of an impact is that in, in the culture uh, that you might live in day to day? I think the reality here in, in Egypt is that there's no formality and informality. It's always basically a spectrum between both because most of our cities are informal developments. And I think that's also because of how fast our city is growing. It's very hard to keep up with formal infrastructure. So we have to find solutions to that. And so I think for us, it's sometimes you don't even know if something is formal or not because of the, the banishing of the barrier between them. And so very few things I would say would hit us as, okay, this is very informal. It's always, yeah, like I said, a spectrum between them that you don't really feel the flow from one side to the other. I think informality as, as a field to study has also been on the rise in many art projects and cultural projects. And I think that they result in very interesting cultural and art pieces. So I think informality is what makes Cairo rich as a city. Yeah, that's really, uh, really uh, interesting. It's very different than like how, how things are, are here. Too. It's like informal is often seen, not like bad, but it's, it's very often looked down upon, mm-hmm. especially by like uh, institutions or, or just like day-to-day life. It's, in North America, people are a bit more uncomfortable with informality. I know even when I, my experiences uh, within the Middle East, informality is part of like mm-hmm. just part of space and part of the culture. And it's kind of weird if that if that didn't exist, right? So yeah, so it's uh, it's really important. I think so. We can move on to the next question with Alex. Yeah, I just wanted to go back again and, and talk about Alpha Rica, the the, mm-hmm. the like the workshop, uh, the, the the studio that you have, because I think it's really fantastic. And yeah, I've looked through the like the toolkit, obviously, and looking at the images, and it looks like such a nice space that to incubate all this creativity. And so I was wondering, can you explain why do you think it's important for cities to like invest in these like kind of creative hubs and artisanal workshops like Alpha Rica? I think Alpha uh, Rica and the like hold very good opportunity if you have something creative that you want to actualize in real life and the presence of it in an informal neighborhood is also what makes it appealing that it's very reachable to many different workshops and clusters already done a small mapping project on the different workshops all around and they're a lot so it's very easy to get access to someone who knows what what you're asking for and someone would help you do do it and the Fabrica space itself uh, has a small library for the local neighborhood. It has laser cutter, CNC machine, 3D printer, everything that you would u- need to do a prototype of what you want. And there's also a small exhibition space. And Cluster is now working on an extension to it right uh, across the street called El Gamalun, which is an Arabic word for the trust because it has a trust. They would also have a wood workshop and a space to host the exhibition. So I think uh, what's also interesting about Alfabrica is that, for example, a lot of the workshops that are hosted there um, are attended by students from private universities. So in my case, the first time I went to Alfabrica, it's not the norm for us to maybe go somewhere that's informal and our parents were worried and everything but it it proved to be very fruitful and I learned a lot from it maybe more than many of the internships or the design studies that I've ever attended so it's it's also a nice opportunity to know 
what's there and what's not there and to bridge the gap between informal and formal as i said it's like a spectrum so you'd like to know what's there and what's not there and so i think having more of as all around would be a great opportunity to introduce everyone to the capacities of what we have. Yeah. And I like what you're saying about, um, and you mentioned it multiple times, but that the fact that informality is a bit of a, a spectrum and, and how they kind of blend between the two. And this is an interesting space where it kind of like manifests together where you can bring mm-hmm. both these elements and, and people can enjoy students like yourself can come in and learn some things and other people can come in and learn. And so, yeah, that's really, really interesting mm-hmm. and really great. And um, we know you have a lot of projects on the go and you're working on a number of different things. And so I'll pass it back to Sammy just to look at like, what's the future of uh, Cluster and what you're up to? Yeah, the, I guess the question would be, what's next for Cluster Cairo and how would you like to see the organization evolve? So currently we have, we've already finished a project that builds upon creativity and action, which is an exhibition that was held in Andrea Cafe, which was the cafe that Cluster has re-innovated their facade. It was a uh, an exhibition on the Mansoura cosmopolitan heritage. And we're currently now working on an extension of the first part of creativity in action, which was the urban shutters. We uh, redid seven shutters right in front of El Fabrica because the, the business owners came and asked for repeating this experience to them. So it was also a design workshop. And this time, Cluster decided to support local uh, emerging artists. And so they distributed the shutters among small artists so that each person would either design and implement or just implement. So it was also a good experience for them to learn and for for having different design directions that weren't necessarily there if you'd give the design to only one institution or one person. And Cluster has also done urban greening to the same uh, block. And these two projects will now have phase two. We'd have more urban greening workshops where we build street furniture using old pallet woods that was cleaned up and refurbished into other modules and other objects that could be distributed among the place to create a, a nice streetscape for the people living there. Also using uh, local woodworkmen and local ironsmiths. Yeah, we'd also have a, a new urban signage workshop very to build upon our experience and do uh, urban signage workshop very soon, which is going to build upon the experience that we gained during the creativity and action. And it will also be held in Orbelua. These all sound like really exciting stuff. I guess the, the next question is how can people actually get involved with Cluster and all the exciting things you have on the go? So Cluster has a very robust uh, internship program. You can reach us through the website, there's an email for it, which is info at clustercarry.org. Each three months, almost each three months, we have new interns from all over the world. We now have an intern from Morocco, and previously we had one from Australia, and then previously one from Hungary. So it's, it's very flexible. We have both local and international internship programs. And yeah, definitely email us, and we'd be very interested to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening in. To learn more about Salma and Cluster and their different projects, please visit clustercairo.org. This episode's music and editing was done by Emani Lambropoulos. And the episode direction, research, and graphic design was done by yours truly. For this episode's show notes and other resources, make sure to visit urbanlimitrove.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media to stay up to date and stay tuned for new episodes coming your way. 
Until next time.